This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 for a couple verses, then skip right over to Acts chapter 5. Uh, both of those are printed in toto in the ESV for you in the bulletin. Of course, you're free to turn there in your own uh, scriptures as well. Before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Now, oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We do thank You that You have, in Your mercy, chosen to condescend to us in speech that we may know Your will. Lord, we ask that You would, once again, as we come before Your Word this morning, open it up to us by Your Holy Spirit. Apply it to us. May we come to see Christ with fresh eyes. Those of us who have known Christ for some time, those of us who may not, would we see Him again in all His beauty. May we once again taste the goodness of the Gospel and see that it is ours today in our present walk with You. We ask that You would do this, Lord, through Your Word, by Your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we've been looking to God's Word to help us uh, leave our comfort zones recently and to, to cast aside what's holding us back from blessing Orangeburg, from, from wanting to go out and seek the health of our town, but just kind of being held back because it's a little uncomfortable for us. And so we looked at doing missions and outreach a couple weeks ago. Even when the culture bites us, how we're to keep doing it anyway. Last week, we looked at being a radically different community, the kind of community that doesn't judge each other, but instead loves each other. This week, we're going to look at the idea of suffering. None of us likes to suffer. We all have strategies that we live by to help us avoid suffering. We've become very comfortable, we could say, in avoiding suffering and discomfort. But what if God calls His people to embrace suffering? What if suffering is part of the mission we have to seek the health of our town? If so, then avoiding suffering is definitely a comfort zone that we need to get out of. And so with that in mind, let's go together to God's Word. First, first Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses <clears throat> 11 and 12, and then we'll skip right to Acts 5, verses 40 through 42. This is God's Word. <clears throat> Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then skipping to Acts. <clears throat> And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is God's word. And so as we walk through these texts together today, we're going to kind of unify them under one idea, one theme. And that idea, that sentence, if you will, is this. You might want to write this down and use it in family worship throughout the week. Is this. We try to avoid suffering, but if we embrace it, we will find joy. You see, what I want you to see today from God's Word is that when we avoid suffering, we lose out. 
But in suffering, we gain so much. So let's jump right in and ask the question, why do we avoid suffering? Jesus Christ, speaking here in Matthew chapter 5, God's Son Himself has promised that we will be blessed. Happy is actually the better way to translate this word, but that just doesn't sound quite churchy enough, so they always translate it blessed. He actually says you're going to be happy. Happy will you be when you suffer. When others taunt us, when others harass us, when others slander us, when others just plain do bad stuff to us because of Jesus, we will be happy. Yet we try to avoid such suffering, such things, don't we? Why? Because it stinks to suffer like that, doesn't it? I don't like being harassed. I doubt you do. I don't like having bad things said about me for Christ's sake. Do you? No. It's very uncomfortable. And when you're going through it, it is hard to believe these words of Jesus. It doesn't feel blessed to suffer when it's actually happening to you, does it? It's hard to believe those promises. And that's why I've included this story from Acts chapter 5 here. It is a direct fulfillment of these words of Jesus' promise. And what's great about it is Acts chapter 5 is a fulfillment of that promise in the lives of men who were standing there in Matthew chapter 5 when he made it. So it's really good for us to see the promise and the fulfillment, and we can see that he does the same in our life. So after Jesus has returned back to heaven in his ascension, after his resurrection, these guys who were with him then as disciples are now leading the church, and they're called apostles. And they are preaching all over Jerusalem that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. They get arrested and they get dragged before the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders have some things to say for them. Boys and girls, we're going to look at your translation now. If you would, look with me in your green folder here. At Acts chapter 5, that first verse there, verse 40, the kids' translation. Here's what happens once they get arrested and taken before the leaders. When the apostles stood before the judges, they spanked them hard and told them to stop telling people about Jesus. I don't know about you boys and girls, it's been a long time since I've gotten a spanking. But I remember it hurt. And now as an adult, the idea of getting spanked by another adult as punishment, that just seems super uncomfortable. But you know, boys and girls, just like I did when I was a boy, and, and you've learned to do today, we, we try to avoid spankings by being really good, right? And don't do anything bad, don't rock the boat, and it'd be fine. You know what, boys and girls? Adults do that too. Don't we, adults? We create comfort zones of being good. Of not rocking the boat. Let's not cause any problems. And because we're afraid for bad things to happen. Fear is a big reason we avoid suffering and stay in our comfort zone. See, these judges here in Acts chapter 5, they played on that fear in the apostles. They ordered them, after they beat them, they ordered them, say, you know, just be spirituals okay, that's fine. Just don't be Christians. Just calm down. Be like the rest of culture. Don't take yourself so seriously and start proclaiming this stuff. Don't, don't get super religious. Just be spiritual like everybody else and it's all good. We'll be fine. You know, Nikki and I, um, we've confessed this before, we're, we're night owls. And uh, this weekend I got to be a roommate with Mackie at a men's conference to find out I have a fellow night owl. It was great staying up till 11.45 reading. And Nikki and I pretty much see midnight every night. That's just how we're wired. And that late at night, Friends comes on. Everybody remember the show Friends? Oh, from the 90s and early 2000s? Well, 
There's this one scene in that show where a character named Ross, who's kind of neurotic and, and dorky, um, he's done something bad at work, and he gets put on administrative leave. And he's trying to spin it as a positive because he's, he's kind of embarrassed that it happened. And so he's talking to another character named Joey, who's not the brightest bulb in the box. And so he's, he goes, well, Joey, it's kind of like just a long break. It's like a, you can like relax and, and rest, kind of like a sabbatical. And Joey throws his hands and goes, whoa, 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 hey, there is no need to get religious. And that's our culture. They get very uncomfortable, even the slightest hint of religion. Keep your beliefs inside. Don't let it show. Don't bring that out in public. Cover that up. It's okay to be spiritual. Just don't be openly religious. And certainly don't be exclusive about what you believe. And we feel that pressure, don't we? And we fear being ostracized, being made to feel awkward, shamed. And so we refrain from having deep conversations with people. We refrain from taking that acquaintance to maybe a deeper relationship and asking significant questions or maybe perhaps after a couple weeks or months, we might actually have the emotional permission to ask them about Christ. That's scary. It's uncomfortable, and so we stick in the comfort zone of the same, hi, how are you, every day, and not actually listening for their answer because they don't give us a real answer anyway. See, we, we may not be beaten for our faith like the apostles were, but make no mistake, the cultural judges of our age have said, you just be spiritual. Don't you put that out, bring that out in public. Don't be too serious. Let's, let's not get religious. And so we're fearful of that kind of suffering, of that kind of social pressure. And so we choose to remain silent. But we also do it because we think suffering is abnormal. We try to avoid suffering because we actually think it can be avoided as part of a Christian walk. Here's what I mean. When suffering comes, it it disrupts our calm, right? It shakes our comfort zone. And we're shocked. And in our shock, we panic. And we start withdrawing from social connections. We pull ourselves back from church even. I've seen Christians do that. We try to isolate ourselves to get through what we see as a crisis, right? We think suffering is abnormal. It's erupted in our life, and so let's just batten down the hatches and let's get through this, and then we'll get back to normal life. We just got to get through this crisis. But what if difficulty is the normal and the times of rest are the abnormal? What if difficulties are how it's supposed to be And the times of rest are just brief respites to catch your breath. John Bunyan, in his Pilgrim's Progress, captures this idea brilliantly. Um, If you don't know much about the book, he, he takes the Christian life and he uses a metaphor of a long journey, a walking journey to the celestial city of heaven. And the main character is a guy named Christian. And everything he encounters is, is, is a picture of what happens in the Christian life. And there's just one scene where Christian is walking up mount or hill difficulty. This is called difficulty. And he starts walking up at a good pace. It gets steeper. He has to eventually start crawling on his hands and knees. And he's doing it for hours. And he's exhausted. And he gets to this little arbor. And there's a bench. And there's a spring. And there's a shade tree. And so he just takes a break. And he finds out the, the, the master at the celestial city built this arbor for weary travelers on their way up Mount Difficulty. So he sits there, he takes a drink, he pulls out his scroll, which is the scriptures, and he reads the promises of God, and he gets so relaxed that he falls asleep. And he wakes up, 
and he realizes he is so far behind on his journey, he's not going to make it to the inn. He's going to have to maybe sleep out in the open because it's nightfall's coming. So he starts going, and he's so sad that he fell asleep. And later in the story, he's actually rebuked for falling asleep in the arbor. And John Bunyan wrote in the vernacular of his day, so if you'll allow me to translate into the vernacular of our day, this is how he's rebuked by someone else. He basically says, dude, you are not supposed to sleep there. It's just meant for a little break. You can't stay there. You've got to get back on the road of difficulty and move on. See, Bunyan caught it brilliantly. We're supposed to be on the road, on the path, on difficulty. That's normal. We're supposed to be experiencing trial and suffering. So God Almighty gives us brief periods of rest. Thank God things are peaceful again and we can calm down. But those are the breaks from normal. If we withdraw from everything during times of trial and difficulty and wait for our normal life to begin, we're always waiting. And we're never engaging. Because, well, I can't handle that right now. Like, let me get through this crisis. And it's in those trials that you actually need the social connections that you're withdrawing from. It's in those trials you need to be in public worship, which you're tempted to withdraw from. In those trials, you need your community. Don't isolate yourself. Deny that temptation that comes. Say, no, I need to be around God's people and my friends when I'm suffering. I don't need to withdraw. We try to avoid suffering. But if we embrace it, we will find joy. And when we avoid suffering, we lose out. What do we lose in suffering? Well, everybody look with me at verse 42 in, there in Acts. It says this, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What did the apostles lose? Their fear. With the boldness empowered by Christ, they proclaimed the gospel. They ignored the threats from the authorities. They wanted people to know about Jesus. Oh, dear flock, what is it that keeps us in our comfort zone? Fear. Would you like to lose that fear? You will lose it in trials, in difficulty, in suffering. Because when we endure, when we see that most of the things we're afraid of didn't actually happen, we lose that fear. Do you know what else we lose in suffering? We lose our hard-hearted lack of sympathy for sinners. Let me say that again. We lose our hard-hearted lack of sympathy for sinners. I want to share a different verse of Scripture with you. You don't, don't need to turn there. We'll just have it up on the slide for you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. See, Jesus Christ, it was through suffering it was through temptation that the man, Jesus Christ, was made sympathetic to sinners like us. He looks on us, it says, as sheep without a shepherd. As those who are helpless and harassed by sin. And he can say that because he knows what that feels like. Now follow me here. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not have a hard heart that needed to be softened, and yet it was in suffering that he was able to gain full sympathy with sinners like us. How much more 
do hard-hearted sinners like us need to be softened through suffering so that we will see non-Christians not as adversaries, but as those harassed by sin, helpless under the burden of their guilt and in need of a Savior. That's why we need suffering. There was evidence of this just this week. Tom Rayner is a uh, church consultant. He blogs a lot, and he brings up issues in the church on his blog, and he conducted an informal poll the last couple weeks, and here was the question he was asking. Why are churches less evangelistic than they used to be? In his informal poll, I think if I read it right, he had about 1,000 respondents, and the number one answer was Christians have no sense of urgency to reach the lost. The number two answer, Christians do not befriend and spend time with lost persons. And I was struck by those top two answers because the top two reasons for not reaching out are because Christians don't care. That's what they say. We don't care to share the good news of Christ. We don't care to live our lives among people who need Christ because inside of our comfort zones, we are not sympathetic to how much people need Christ. We are not sympathetic to how much those who do not know Christ as Lord are overwhelmed by fear and doubt and insecurity and a lack of hope and a lack of purpose. We just don't connect with that because we're so comfortable. But in suffering, we lose that apathy. We begin to care more about our non-Christian neighbors. So let's put this all together. Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what God's Word is showing us. Suffering is the nature of the Christian life. Therefore, we should not try to avoid suffering. Rather, we should embrace suffering. Why? Because in suffering, we lose the fear that holds us in our comfort zone. In suffering, we become more sympathetic to non-Christians. We see them as harassed by sin instead of those people trying to get us. So we lose some things in suffering that we need to lose, which is why God sends suffering to us. But also in suffering, we gain so much. What do we gain in suffering? Well, let's look again at our apostles. Look with me at verse 41 of Acts. It says this, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What did they gain? Sounds a lot like Jesus' words from Matthew 5, doesn't it? Let's refresh with the kids' version of Matthew 5. We didn't look at the kids' version. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 in the children's translation. says this, boys and girls. You will be blessed when others make fun of you and tell lies about you because of me. Be really happy because you will have a great prize in heaven since they treated the prophets the same way. See, for all of us, Jesus promised it. The apostles experienced it. Overwhelming, overpowering, exuberant joy from persecution and suffering, just like Jesus promised. Do we believe Jesus promised? We wouldn't try so hard to avoid suffering and difficulty if we did, would we? Maybe an easier question is, do we have this kind of powerful joy in our life? Could it be 
that the reason so many of us are unfulfilled in life is that we have put so much energy into maintaining a comfort zone that we have missed the joy that comes from suffering. Jesus Christ promises overwhelming, overflowing, overpowering joy to those who suffer for Him. Having that kind of joy during suffering and trials is what creates an opportunity for us to have relationships with non-Christians. Because when they see us rejoicing during suffering, it messes them up. They have no categories for that. Because the dominant culture in America is really an anti-supernatural culture. So if there's any way to have meaning and purpose in this life, it has to be found in this life. The accumulation of things, the accumulation of power, the accumulation of, of popularity, whatever it is, we have got to find it in this life. And so when there's a source of disappointment that happens, it must be resisted, never embraced, it never rejoiced over. And when we rejoice in suffering, they see your hope must not be in these things. You, you, you have resources I don't have. And so it gives us an opportunity to actually have a deeper conversation than, hi, how are you? If someone actually sees you rejoicing in suffering, it will mess them up. And they will ask, how do you do it? How do you handle all of this? How are you not falling apart? In other words, they're asking, can you please give me a reason for the hope that you have within you? It sounds like a Bible verse somewhere, right? That we should always be ready in season and out of season to be ready to give an answer for the hope we have within us. Suffering with joy is one of the ways people want to know what do you have and where do I get some? But there's more that we gain in suffering as well. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> verse 41 again says, They were counted worthy. That's what they rejoiced over. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy by Christ to suffer. The apostles were honored to have been dishonored for Christ. Suffering for Jesus was an honor for them. Now, honor is one of those words we use a lot, but we don't actually rest on the concept. What, what is honor? I want, I, want to, I want us to zoom in on the idea of honor so we understand what God's Word is saying here. I want to show you a picture of somebody. This guy made the news in the UK this past week. This is Lance Corporal Joshua Leakey. He's a British paratrooper. He was awarded the Victory Cross, excuse me, the Victoria Cross this week. He's the only living soldier in the Afghan conflict to receive one. The other two people who received one, uh, it was post uh, they were dead already, posthumously, that's the word I was looking for. He received his uh, Victoria Cross for actions that saved both his 20-man squad and the life of a wounded United States Marine colonel. He showed such courage under fire, such self-sacrificing valor to help others that the state wanted to show he deserves to be praised. He deserves to be held up as an example. He has done something great. That's honor. That's what the apostles felt inside when they were persecuted and suffered for Jesus' sake. They were honored. It felt like they had done something great and it stirred their very souls. Oh, 
men here today and women, but especially men, that deep desire we have for our life to matter, that deep desire to be significant at something, that deep desire to be great that we pour into our own athletics and then when we're past our prime, our kids' athletics, we pour it into being like the best hunter ever or to making fish fear our name or to making, you know, whatever it is we pursue with our whole heart trying to find significance. It's a shadow desire of the real desire to be a worthy servant of your heavenly master who he then honors. That's what you're thirsting for. That's what your search for significance is about. You want to be honored by God. You want to be counted worthy the very depths of your soul. It's what you long for. And you will never be so fulfilled and satisfied as when you suffer for the gospel's sake. And it's in that honor that we get a glimpse of the main benefit we get from suffering. We get Christ. We get Christ himself. We get closer to the heart of God and more like Jesus through suffering. We come more in contact, more understanding of who Jesus is in suffering. Wiser and more godly pastor than I, named Tim Keller, said it this way. He said, Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become more like Him. The Gospel does not promise you better life circumstances. It promises you a better life. See, when Christians suffer, it draws us closer to God Himself. Because God has suffered as well. We forget that. We don't think about that. I'm going to say that again. God has suffered as well. We are stepping into His suffering when we suffer. Here's what I mean by that. God loves His creation. God loves His creatures. God adores His people. And He has watched all of those things be ravaged by sin and death. And it breaks His heart. The entire story of the, quote, mean Old Testament is actually a heartbroken God doing everything He can to undo it. The story of redemption is not just rooted in the fact that God will not let sin and death win. It's more emotive than that. He loves and He suffers as His creatures suffer under sin and death, and He wants to stop it. There's a great picture of this in the New Testament. It's one of those places we read so fast we overlook it. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? right before he's about to raise Lazarus from the grave. Anybody see the disconnect there? Why is Jesus weeping? He knows he's about to undo it. What's the problem? Why is he so upset? Why does he weep? Because as incarnate God, his heart is broken that death exists. Death should not be, and it breaks God's heart. And when we suffer, we are tapping in to that suffering God. Not to earn anything, but to be more closer to recognize that's what our God is like. You are being God-like when you suffer because God suffers for His creatures, His creation, and His people. And it's from that heart of a suffering God that He sent His only begotten Son. 
It's from that suffering love of the heart of the Son that He lived to rescue us, that He took on 33 years of suffering and temptation to be the sympathetic high priest who would offer His own blood by dying the death we should have died, to destroy the power of sin and death in this world. And until He comes back for us, there will be suffering. But in that suffering, we find joy, we find honor, and it fulfills our heart. Oh, dear Christian, get out of your comfort zone of avoiding suffering. Those walls you've put up around your heart and around your life to make sure no one can see you're ugly, no one can hurt you, and you can't really get involved in anything, get rid of those. Be willing to suffer. Open yourself up to being hurt and embrace the suffering of Jesus Christ and you will find joy and honor. Now, for those of you actually in the midst of suffering right now, let's just own it together, the truth. Right now, you're thinking, I'm hurting, I have no joy, and I don't feel any honor. I know. I've been there. More importantly, God has been there. God Himself has not merely suffered along with His creatures. He has suffered for His creatures. A great, he's deceased now with the Lord, a great British teacher and pastor named John Stott grabs this idea of how this anchors us in our suffering. He said this. He said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? Oh, dear Christian, or non-Christian, you need to hear this. In your darkest moments of grief, when the suffering is just more than you can bear, look to the cross. See Jesus Christ dying an undeserved death for sinners. And see God the Father letting it happen and suffering along with Him. God knows what it means to suffer. God has lost a child. And He can bring relief and meaning to you in your suffering. In the gospel are all the resources you need to endure and to have joy in suffering. Those resources are are yours for the taking. So whether you know Christ or whether you don't know Christ, cast off everything you think Christianity is, everything you've called religion, all the behavior, all the stuff, and look in faith to Jesus Christ today as your Lord and realize He gives you power in the gospel to live today, not just something you did back then. The gospel is yours today. Grasp of hold of it. Yet again, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and ask Him to empower you in your suffering. You will gain so much when you place your faith and trust in Him. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, it is, it is so hard to speak the truth about suffering without sounding glib. So Lord, I pray that You would come by Your Holy Spirit and You would give weight to these words. That You would burn the truth of Your Word into all of our hearts. That we are closer to You through suffering because You have suffered. And that our suffering does not redeem us. Only Your suffering did. But You did suffer to redeem us. Oh Father, we ask that You would Give us the strength, the faith, and the courage to trust You 
to make ourselves vulnerable to each other and to our community, to be willing to suffer for the sake of your gospel, that we would lose our fear, that we would gain honor, and that we would gain Christ. And we ask you to do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's prepare ourselves for communion and respond to God's word by singing together.